Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Estate Red Zone, brought to you by the Texas Real Estate Research Center at Texas A&M University. I'm Haley Reeder, Communications Specialist. Today is Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. On this day in 1890, the John Seeley Training School for Nurses, the first formal nursing school in Texas, opened with 18 students in Galveston's John Seeley Hospital. The school was originally established by a group of local philanthropists as an educational entity independent of the hospital. However, in 1896, the school joined the University of Texas Medical Branch. Training schools subsequently opened in hospitals throughout the state. Now on to today's podcast. COVID-19's effects on the nation's labor market have bled over into the housing market, impacting not only current homeowners, but potential buyers as well. A shortage of homes, particularly in the lower price ranges, has constrained affordability, especially for lower-income households. And the financial pressures the pandemic has imposed on these households have further diminished their home buying potential. Center research economist Dr. Harold Hunt and research intern Claire Losey explored this in their latest article, In Short Supply, Low Housing Inventories Effect on Low-Income Buyers. They join us today to share their insights. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, good to be here. Housing affordability has been a consistent issue in the Texas housing market for years. How has the pandemic affected affordability? Well, first and foremost, it's important to remember that the COVID-19 recession was born out of a major shock to the nation's labor market in the immediate wake of temporary business closures and statewide shutdowns. Millions of Americans witnessed tremendous losses to household income, whether that was the result of job losses, i.e. unemployment, or a reduction in hours and or pay. Now, we know that by and large, particular industries such as leisure and hospitality, travel and restaurants and dining have been harder hit by the ramifications of covid so it's, it's vital to remember that the effects of the recession are not evenly distributed, right? You have some workers who were able to easily transition working from home and who did not experience any losses in household income, while you also have a large group of workers who were forced out of the labor market or were forced to walk home with a significant reduction in pay or hours. So we know that the individuals in the latter group, those who have borne the major brunt of the recession include young workers, women, workers with low educational attainments, part-time workers, and racial and ethnic minorities. Okay, so now that we understand the disparate effects of the COVID-19 recession, Let's frame that in the context of housing affordability and specifically purchase affordability, which is the ability of a household to attain homeownership. So one of the primary factors that determines a household's ability to purchase a home is income. And based on the tremendous losses that particular households have experienced in income, 
in the wake of the COVID-19 recession, i.e. particularly low-income households, women, and minorities, purchase affordability for those groups has been especially eroded. So when we talk about purchase affordability in the wake of the COVID-19 recession, it's key to frame the discussion along demographic lines. Moreover, also embedded in this discussion is the element of time. So you may recall that the trajectory of recovery for low-income and minority households following the Great Recession was significantly longer than for other households. So as such, low-income and minority households experienced greater difficulty in accessing homeownership following the Great Recession, and that similar phenomenon is expected to be experienced in the wake of the COVID-19 recession as well. Why is there such a shortage in affordable homes? You know, I think it's the usual suspects. You've got the same old increases in land and labor, material costs that we've had for several years and and they just haven't gone away. On the side of land, I mean, it's it's really difficult to find an affordable parcel that you can build affordable housing on. Uh, Land is just tight down in that in that lower end. On the labor side, there was already a shortage in skilled labor in the housing industry, electricians and plumbers and things like that, because we basically just skipped a generation and and didn't train enough. But now the problem with COVID, uh, with a lot of companies, is just absenteeism. I mean, there are people that just can't come to work. So that's driving up the cost of labor and, and even the availability of labor. And then on the material side, I mean, you've got things like lumber, for example, that have almost doubled in price now in the last 12 months. So price materials, some of them have gone way up. And, you know, one thing is some of the mills uh, had to shut down because of COVID. And, and the other thing is just demand at the higher end for housing because interest rates are so low. There's a lot of housing construction going on, uh, which competes for lumber, but it's just not at the affordable end. How does the type of mortgage affect affordability? So when we discuss mortgage financing, there are really two primary types of loans that we consider, conventional and government-backed mortgages, which include FHA, VA, and rural housing service loans. And then within all of those, within the two types of mortgages, you have a couple of different factors that are particularly important to lenders when they're evaluating the credit worthiness of a borrower, i.e. when the lender is deciding whether or not to originate a mortgage loan. And the factors that are primarily considered by lenders include the household's income, wealth, and credit score. So really, when we're discussing mortgage financing, those are the three primary borrowing constraints that we're considering. For conventional mortgage financing, we typically see households with higher income and wealth and higher credit scores, whereas households who attain government-backed mortgages typically present lower income and wealth and lower credit scores. And so generally, households that obtain government-insured mortgages could not qualify for conventional mortgage financing. 
So really when we're discussing mortgage financing, it's key to remember that the maximum home purchase price affordable to a particular household is largely going to be a factor of income, wealth, and credit. And generally, the maximum home purchase price affordable to a borrower, borrower with conventional mortgage financing is going to be higher than it is for a borrower with government, a government-backed mortgage because the former borrower presents higher income, wealth, and credit. What obstacles do low-income buyers face moving forward? You know, they really, the lower in, the lower income people really got hit harder in this to begin with. And the big question that, you know, nobody really knows the answer to, but what it looks like now is that those jobs and those incomes are going to be some of the last to come back. And so the big question is, you know, when will they come back? How strong will they come back? Will these low-income people get back to the salaries that they had before, or, or will their salaries be lower? I mean, there's a lot of things we just don't know, but it, it doesn't look good at this point uh, for people that are in leisure, hospitality, hotels, restaurants, and, and things like that. And so if that is the case, if, you know, if they're going to take longer to come back, then if they're trying to buy a house, I mean, if their income isn't there like it was, they're going to have to buy a cheaper home if, if there even are any, or they may not even be able to buy. They may just have to remain renters. So it's, it's tough to say at this point, but uh, you know, it looks like the comeback is going to be slower for lower income people. Well, thanks again for coming on. Oh, thanks so much, Haley. Thank you. Thanks again, Harold and Claire. You can read, in short supply, Low Housing Inventory's Effect on Low-Income Buyers on our website. We post a link to it on our podcast webpage and in the YouTube description box. If you're looking for more on Texas housing, check out our housing activity data and read our monthly Texas Housing Insight Report. Links to those are posted on our podcast webpage. And don't forget to subscribe to email notifications so you always know when the Texas Housing Insight Report is updated. And while you're on our website, browse through our research library. It includes a wide variety of economic reports and real estate articles. Our latest topics include proposed tax changes, Texas rural land sales, property tax appraisals, fixture leases, and more. We post a link to our research library on the podcast webpage. That's going to be it for today's podcast. If you're looking for more from the Texas Real Estate Research Center, head to our website. That's www.recenter.tamu.edu. There, you'll find the latest data, research articles, blogs, news, and more. You can also check out the center's News Talk Texas database, which is updated daily with the biggest headlines in Texas real estate. You can also subscribe to Recon, our bi-weekly newsletter, to get all the biggest stories sent straight to your inbox. To stay up to date on when articles are published on our website, follow the Texas Real Estate Research Center on social media. You can find us with the handle at RECenterTX on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. For more podcasts like these, you can subscribe on iTunes or to our YouTube channel. 
all podcasts are also available for free on our website. Thanks for joining us today in the Real Estate Red Zone, brought to you by the Texas Real Estate Research Center in College Station, Texas, where we've been helping Texans make the best real estate decisions since 1971. This is Haley Reeder, and I'll see you next time. Bye.